Church and of our campus in Lexington, Kentucky. It is our prayer that as you listen today, you will be encouraged, challenged, and equipped to be all God has for you. We invite you to join us for worship on Sunday mornings at either 8.30 or 11 o'clock a.m. at our Todd's Road campus near the Hamburg area of Lexington. We frame them and what perspective we give and how it shapes the way we receive the story. Uh, I was talking to Brad's Sunday school class right before worship uh, about my first Christmas with my Uh, uh, in-laws. The entire family got food poisoning. Every one of us started with the baby and worked its way up through the family. Uh, It was a traumatic way to to truly get to know my in-laws. Sick as a dog, one bathroom, people are on the port sick. This story gets told every Christmas when we get together. I bring it up sometimes because they kind of have lax standards with defrosting meat on the counter and this stuff. And so I'm like, the microwave has a defrost function. You know that. Um, We never get sick. That was a one-time thing. Um, But depending on who tells the story, it gets heard a different way. Uh, Mine focuses on uh, food safety. Um, I will not eat sausage and peppers from this family ever again. Um, But focuses on food safety and on the way I got to know my in-laws through the sickness. That's, That's really my version of the story. My father-in-law tells it about how horrified Chad was. He talks about seeing me be embarrassed and that this was just this traumatic thing. Felsha can only tell you what it was like to be locked away in a room because that's all she remembers. Uh, My mother-in-law remembers rocking sick on the front porch and hoping nobody would find her. Um, These are all true stories, right? It's all the same story but told from the perspective of who's telling it. What, what stood out most to us, what was important, and what we want to tell. I want them to remember us being that sick, because I don't want to be that sick again. I've been to the hospital twice in my life, once in Cancun, Mexico, from dehydration. It was on a missions trip. Um, <laughs> it was. It was on a missions trip. All of us got sick. And then at my in-laws for this first Christmas, my father-in-law had to drive me up Sawmill Mountain in West Virginia, sick as a dog, to go get fluid pumped in me. I tell it one way, they tell it another, but it's the same story. Our Gospels do the same exact thing. We have four accounts of the beginning of the good news. John's Gospel uh, is framed in this Greco-Roman argument structure. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. Nothing came about without God. The Word became flesh and dwelt among us. Grace and truth came through him. That's the Christmas story according to the Gospel of John. Luke is probably the one we're more familiar with, right? If your family told the Christmas story uh, around the tree, they probably told the Luke story. The angel appears to Zechariah. He appears to Mary. Mary goes to visit Elizabeth, and they have the Magnificat. Uh, The baby is born. They, uh, oh man, the shepherds are there. Uh, It's in the days of Caesar, and the census was taken, They name him, and then John the Baptist comes on the scene. Uh, Luke is really looking at kind of this uh, flow of events and trying to set up how all this fits together. Mark uh, has a fascinating Christmas story. 
This is the beginning of the good news of Jesus Christ. Boom, John the Baptist is 30 years old. We're just skipping over this whole thing. He could care less about the birth of Jesus. He jumps right into the ministry with John the Baptist announcing that uh, the one who we thought is coming is coming. Short and sweet. Three verses in, we're getting to the baptism. And then Matthew has his version of the Christmas story. Uh, it's, it begins with, if you're a King James fan, uh, and Abraham begat Isaac, and Isaac begat Jacob. And this goes on telling a family story through a genealogy. And then the, the one angel to appear in Matthew is this story we heard today, the angel appearing to Joseph and telling him what was going to happen. We have in this book the story of the Magi appearing and bringing the gifts of gold and frankincense and myrrh. We have in this book the story of them fleeing to Egypt, Herod's slaughter of the innocents. Matthew's focus is on uh, setting up Jesus as the Messiah of Israel's hope. And from the beginning, he's laying this claim through all these Old Testament imagery, drawing upon their story, Israel's family story, to say, we've been waiting for something. We've been waiting for someone. And here he is. They're all true stories. They're all the story of Christmas, but told from their particular perspective. If you come Tuesday night, we're going to tell the Christmas story, and we're going to draw from the Old Testament. We're going to draw from Matthew. We're going to draw from John. We're going to draw from Luke and tell the story using all those. I'm going to confess that uh, despite having two master's degrees in theology, I never actually sat down and uh, thought about the differences in how they tell the story. I've translated them all, but I've never put together that uh, they each have their own thing. Frankly, I assume the angel appeared to everybody in every version, right? Joseph, Joseph gets his, his angel appearance, Mary gets hers, and uh, Zechariah gets his. This is the only one that has the Joseph story. This is the only appearance, and then Jesus is just born. The angel appears to Joseph uh, right after Joseph uh, has had the shock of a lifetime, engaged to be married, not yet married, and his wife is pregnant. In order not to shame her, he decides that he is going to uh, divorce her uh, quietly, uh, not bring about shame. And the angel comes in whatever form this angel comes and says, wait, Joseph. By the Holy Spirit, she is with child. She'll give birth and you'll name him Jesus, which means God saves. Joseph, being a righteous man, listens and does what he is told. This came about to fulfill what the prophet had said, uh, that God Emmanuel, God will be with us. This is what Matthew wants us to know about the Jesus story. So he's focusing on uh, naming our Savior. He spent all these verses before with the begats. This person gave birth to this person who gave birth to this person. This is an important part, who we are and whose we are. He sets up Jesus standing in this line, this line of Israel's story, and then he gets named. You should call him Jesus. Now, we've just seen this list of names of people who could be called. Uh, Samuel would be a great name, right? Uh, this great prophet priest. He could be named Moses, this one who delivers, right? Could have called him Solomon, full of wisdom. Abraham, the, the father of many. But he's named Jesus. How many of you are familiar with the Jesus story from the Old Testament? Not many of us, right? Jesus comes through the Greek translation, uh, Iesus. Uh, most of this community didn't walk around talking to each other in Greek. They would speak in Aramaic or Hebrew. 
uh, depending on the context. And instead of walking up and saying, hey, Jesus, or hey, Jesus, they'd walk up and say, hey, Yeshua. Yeshua in Hebrew means God saves. Uh, Yeshua in Hebrew is also where we get the name Joshua. In this long list of Israel's story, of all the people Jesus could have a name connection with, he's connected with Joshua. I've, I've loved the story of Joshua for years. Um, he's this feisty little guy who believes that God can do miraculous things. Uh, before he's even the leader of Israel, he's sent out as part of this team of spies to explore the promised land. Twelve of them sent out, go and see what it's like. They come back and ten of them declare, there's no way we can go in. They're too big, they're too strong. If we go in, they will kill us. But Joshua and Caleb say, our God can save us. If we go in, our God is strong enough, we will be victorious, we can take this land. They nearly stone Joshua and Caleb. They nearly run them out of the community. This is marked as the moment where Israel didn't have faith. God declares that this entire generation won't enter the promised land because of their lack of faith. But Joshua and Caleb, who believed that God could save them, would. Fast forward in the story, Moses is uh, nearing his, uh, his death. And he draws Joshua to him and tells him the story of Israel, kind of passes the mantle to him, gives him the law and says, tell the people the law and lead them in. And Joshua does just that. He uh, brings the Ark of the Covenant in front of them, crosses through the waters, and they enter the promised land to a people who are terrified of them, a people who absolutely are defeated by the power of God. God leads them through, and Joshua is an agent of salvation. They receive their land, they become a nation, and they seemingly are blessed by God. All the promises that were given to Abraham now come through Joshua serving with God up front. At every step, God is there through the Ark of the Covenant leading the people in. When they go to battle against Jericho, the Ark of the Covenant leads them there. Joshua, God saves Trust God to do the saving. But we know the story doesn't end there. They don't actually capture all the land. There's still foreigners in their midst. And if you turn the page, you turn to Judges, and you see uh, really a, a fairly dark point in Israel's story. They've seen the promises come, but they know they're not there yet. They're full of good, uh, not full, there's some good judges, mostly bad judges, a lot of terrible judges. And we continue to see Israel turning away from their God. They've seen that God can save. They've seen what God can do in their midst, and yet the promises aren't fully, fully realized until the time of David. When David becomes king, they finally receive all the promises. Jesus, Jesus, Yeshua, God saves. It's at the same time Emmanuel, God with us. No longer does uh, the human person need the very presence of God through some uh, Ark of the Covenant to lead them. The, the presence of God is in the person of Jesus. Matthew is uh, bringing together these two streams of the action of God and the person of Christ. Fully human, fully divine, God saving, God with us. Jesus comes on the scene and uh, lives this incredible life calls these disciples, builds a following, demonstrates that he is in fact God, 
teaches them what it means to be citizens of this kingdom. For Matthew's focus is on what it means to be part of what God is doing in this new kingdom. But yet, Jesus keeps saying, but it's not all going to happen now. You see, I'm going to die, and I'm going to go away. And this advocate will come, and the Spirit will be uh, in your midst. And you're, you're going to go and make disciples. You're going to teach and bear witness to everything that you've seen. For all the promises aren't coming true yet, but you can trust. The uh, Christ ascends. We know from the story in Acts that the Spirit is poured out on the people and the church is born. A church that's founded on a person who at the same time is God saves and God with us. Who's made these promises of what the kingdom of heaven will look like and sent us to be those agents as we wait. We stand in this Advent season between that time when Christ came and made these promises and the time when they will be fully realized in new creation. And our world needs to hear that God saves and that God is with us. You don't have to turn on the news to know that this world desperately needs to know that God saves and that God is with us. But if you turn on the news, you can't help but be devastated at the rhetoric in our world, at the sickness, at the sadness, at the war, at the violence, at everything. Friends, first you need to hear God saves and God is with us. But then it's not enough to stop there. We need to go and tell the world that so desperately needs to hear it, that God saves and God is with us. We need to reframe the way we've used this book to beat people over the head that you need to do this to avoid hell. We need to announce that God is doing things now, that there is a kingdom of heaven breaking in and that God will save us today, not just then God is going to save us today, and that God will fill us today. It's not enough to just look for heaven and hell later on as these things to be either gone into or avoided. The kingdom of heaven is at hand. That's Matthew's whole focus, that from the moment the Christ event happened, the kingdom is breaking in, and now we get to be the one to announce that God saves and God is with us. Easy, right? Go out and tell people who uh, have been beat up by the church, or people who are skeptical of the church, God loves you, God will save you, and God is with you. Most people hear the bullhorn version, right? Change, repent. They're tired of being yelled at by the church. This God who saves and this God who is with us, time after time announces liberation to his people. That in the here and now, God can set you free. Friends, if we would go and announce liberation to people, if we go announce that he will feed the sick, clothe the hungry, or feed the hungry, clothe the naked, set the prisoners free, I mean, this, if we go announce this, it is compelling. And if we tell people that God will save them today and that God's spirit is available today, it's a whole different story. But it takes being bold, doesn't it? We're, we're conditioned to uh, shrink back from this message. Friends, I'm going to pray prayers of boldness that this church goes out and declares that our God saves today and is with us today. We can take this town by storm with a message of grace, a message of hope, a message of love. I've heard your stories. I know, I know many of you have experienced our God saving you, our God being with you. 
Our God setting you free. Our God giving liberation. Our God being there in the midst of your worst, deepest, darkest moments. Friends, our friends and family need to know the same thing. And this year with Jesus, we're going to keep coming back to the fact that we're the ones tending the kingdom of heaven until Christ comes in final victory. That through the power of the Spirit, we are the ones who go out and announce that the kingdom of heaven is at hand. And the only way we can do that is by being filled with God's grace. And we do that through these everyday, ordinary means of grace. We come to the story not looking for a set of rules, but looking to meet somebody. To meet the God who took on flesh in Jesus Christ. To ask the Spirit to fill us. We come to prayer and we say, God, what would you speak to us? We don't try to manipulate God and we don't feel guilty if it doesn't go the way we think prayer should go. We fast and ask God to help move through things that we don't think we can move through. We gather in worship, being brought back together as the body of Christ, and we come and we receive the sacraments. This is the way that we can be filled with God's grace and go out with boldness and announce that our God saves and our God is with us. I was with Sean Gladding this week at an event here at the church, and he was talking about his daughter's understanding of communion. Uh, you know, we, we frequently say at the, at the table, we remember. And that's true. We do remember the story, right? We remember the events of the upper room and the events of the, the Passion Week. But I love the way she told her dad that she understands remembering that when we remember, we literally remember the bodies of Christ, the body of Christ, and put it back together. As the church, whatever we have done throughout the week comes back together and are remembered as one body. Whether you have thrived this week or whether you have struggled, whether you have almost achieved sanctification or whether you have fallen short of the glory of God, we come back together and are remembered at this table. We come together every week when we come to this table and we say a confession and pardon, we don't ask you to rank your sins. We don't ask you to decide whether you've been good enough or bad enough. We've all fallen short. We come and we confess and we are all remembered. Friends, would you join me in our confession and pardon? Pardon.